today. As I've already said, we get to continue our, our sermon series. I'm really excited to do that. And in order to do that, we're going to look at a section of God's Word found from 1 John chapter 4. So these are a lot of verses. There's no way we're going to cover this in a sermon. But, but I want to read this in context so you see the whole picture. And then in our message today, we're going to kind of zero in on, on a couple of the key points that John, and really our God, wants us to know and believe. So let's listen. 1 John 4, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And so whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. This is God's word. This last week, as I was studying this and preparing for this, I went down a rabbit hole. You know the kind I'm talking about, right, where you, you Google something and before you know it, it's three hours later and you're like, what happened to all my time? That happened to me this last Tuesday. Because I was dumb enough to Google what are the greatest movies of all time. Maybe some of you are laughing because you did that before. And there's no shortage of lists and articles and blogs and videos because everybody kind of has their opinion on what they think is the greatest movie of all time. And I just, you got some examples up there. Maybe you'd put something different in there. I don't know. A lot of these were on the list, the top 50 lists of greatest movies. Now, there's one thing I noticed. Whatever the movie was, whatever the list was, almost all of them kind of had one general thing in common. I thought about asking you what it was, but I, I feel like I'm going to get about 100 different answers. So the one thing that I found 
they all have this component of a happily ever after. And of course, maybe you think of the romantic movies, the romantic comedies, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love, they break up, they get back together, and they ride off into the sunset. I think you see like the notebook up there, if you've seen that one, that's, that's that kind of story, and, and they live happily ever after. But even if you're not in the, the romance section, you can be in the action section, the adventure section, and, and a lot of those movies have the same plot. Think of a movie like Star Wars up there, right? It's the epic battle between good versus evil. And, and, and all of us, unless you're crazy, and I know one of my kids actually goes for the Empire, but we all want the good team to win, right? <laughs> There's movies like, you see Rudy up there, movies like that where, where it's the underdog and, and we're cheering for him. We want him to succeed, and when he does, wow, that's how we like it. And I could go on and on, most of the movies, and this is why it took me like three hours, most of the movies had some sort of component like that, right? And then I thought, but isn't that why we watch movies? Isn't that exactly why we love movies, why we spend money on them, go to theaters, spend way too much to get Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, and a million other streaming platforms so we can watch these movies? And even when we've seen them, we watch them again and again and again. Why? Because we want to know that everything's going to be okay. We want to know that when the movie ends, when the story ends, good is going to triumph over evil and love is going to win out every time. Now, I think Hollywood, they get that. They understand the human brain. They understand how we're wired, but... Hollywood didn't come up with that first. God did. Right, we talked about that a little bit last week, right? How God, he made us, he hardwired us to be in community, not to live alone. In fact, there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about how God even made us to desire and to long for unfailing love. So it's no reason, it's no, no, no shocker that, that we like movies like this because God made us to kind of long for those things. Let me ask you to it this way. What if somebody said you could write the story of your life? Here's your pen, here's your paper, here's your laptop. You get to write the movie based on your life story. What would you put in it? What would be on the script? I think I can, it's safe to say I can tell you what wouldn't be on the script. That time when you had a big blowout with that family member or friend and now you haven't talked to them in a couple months, you'd probably delete that one. Right? Every time there's an issue in your marriage, you'd make sure that it always ends with forgiveness and so much love and reconciliation and so you can go happily ever after. I'm pretty sure that, that you'd want to delete the anger or the grudges or the cancer or the arthritis or the prejudice or the racial tension or the political divide or, and all the negative and bad in our world, right? We just, we're just going to keep it off the script, right? The doubts, the fears, the depression, the anxiety. Nope, we're not even going to put it in there. 
And I'm guessing that, that if you're writing your story or, or maybe the story of a loved one, you're going to do the same thing I'm going to do. You're going to put so much love in there, so many second chances and reconciliation and forgiveness and joy. You're going to write a script where it ends, where everybody's healthy, everybody's happy, everybody's at peace with one another, and, and we live happily ever after. Unfortunately, you and I both know that's not how life works. As much as we love the movies, and maybe that's another reason we like to watch them so we can escape the madness of reality, you know that in life it's not always a happily ever after. Right, some of you here today, you know what it's like to feel all kinds of love, and some of you, you haven't found it yet. Some of you are here and you know what it's like to, to grow up in families where mom and dad stayed together and there was so much love in that house. And, and some of you, the only thing you know growing up is criticism, a lack of forgiveness. And if you heard the name of God, it was used as a cuss word. Some of you know what it's like to wrestle with inner demons of depression or anxiety and sometimes feel like you're all alone, and in others, you, you feel great. Some of you know what it's like to say goodbye to a loved one at a cemetery. And some of you know what it's like to schedule time just to see your kids because the vows were broken. Life, real life, your life, my life, is not always like the movies. And so that's why I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're watching online today because God wants to come and give you something that only he can give in its entirety, fully, completely, and he'll never, ever fail you on it. And so today as we continue this sermon series, we're going to look at living life together as we love one another, but first we must, we must go to our God who loves us first. And so that's going to take us back to these words that we read just a few minutes ago from the book of John. Now, John, he was one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus handpicked him. He lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He had a walking seminary for three whole years, not just for a few hours a day, but like almost constantly. John was also probably the youngest disciple chosen at that time, at least in the, with the original 12. So he's kind of the baby of the apostle group. John was also the one that is referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. But when John writes these words that are before us today, he, he's no longer a young man. He's seen some things. He's gone through some things. And, and you and I both know, especially the older ones in the crowd today, that, that over time we, we gain experience, we gain wisdom, but we can also very easily kind of gain some grit and some crust that maybe isn't always the best because we know that life is not always good. And so John writes these words as an older man. In fact, there, there's a story that said that they tried to boil John alive in hot oil and it didn't work. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And then when that doesn't work, we do know for sure they took John and they said, we're going to send you to a, an island, a prison island. And you're never going to see your family and friends again. You're going to rot on that island by yourself until you die, have fun, see you later. Yet through it all, you know what John remembers? 
He remembers this one fundamental truth, even in his old age, and it's something that he wants you to remember too. And it's this. That God is love. Out of all the things, John says, that you can remember about God, he says, you got to know that God is love. Now, I remember teaching in Taiwan 20-plus years ago, and most of my students did not know this. They weren't Christians. They didn't go to church regularly. They, they didn't know about a God of love. And so part of the, the English classes, we would actually tell them Bible stories as well. And, and I still remember this one class. I was trying to help them understand, well, well who is God? And we talked about God's powerful, right? And, and God is all-knowing, and God can do whatever he wants, because this is God. But I said, if you forget all of that, that's fine. <laughs> I want you to know, but if you forget all of that, there's one thing you have to remember about God. That God is love. The God of love who sent his son for you and me. And so when God has John write these words, he makes it absolutely, abundantly clear, crystal clear, that we know this truth. In fact, if my counting was right, I counted the word love or some version of it, 27 times John uses it. And it's just in this small section, one chapter, not even the whole chapter, 27 times he talks about how God is love. Now, that's awesome, that's a great reminder, but God knew that that wasn't nearly enough. God knew that just putting the words on paper, God knew that just saying them to you, it wasn't going to be enough. Because love is not a noun, love is a verb. Love is not just a word we say, love is an action. So, so God didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just have it put on paper, I love you. He actually showed it. Now, I don't know if you all know this, but I think it fundamentally most of us do, right? People receive and give love in different ways. There's blogs about it. There's books about it. There's even that, that most famous one, right, the, the five love languages. Some of you might know that one. But I'll tell you what, understanding that truth, and if you fully get it, it will change your relationships for the better forever. It's a game changer, whether it's with your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, whoever. If you understand that and can tap into that truth and that reality that God hardwired all of us to give and receive love differently, it's a game changer. Let me explain. Some of you, your love language is you love gifts. And I'm not saying you're selfish and you want these million dollar gifts. No, 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 just little gifts. Like your husband comes home and, and gives you a flower or two and says, how was your day, that, that little gift? Woo! Some of you ladies, that does it for you. Others, gifts are fine, you're appreciative, you love it, but, but what you long for is time. Keep your gifts, keep all the other stuff, give me some time. Put the phone down, get off Instagram, turn off Hulu, and just time. And when your spouse, when your parent, when your child, when your friend does that, whew, you feel the love. Now some of you, again, those are, are good, 
But yours? Yours is this. Maybe even it happens here at church and, and your spouse just grabs and, and grabs onto that hand of yours and, and that, that touch is what does it. Or, or a big hug or, or a kiss. And that is speaking your love language. They can say it, <laughs> but they're showing it. And some of you, you want them to say it. You need them to say it, right? You need to hear the words, I love you. You need to hear the words, I'm proud of you, honey. You need to hear the words, you can do this, baby. And, and those words of affirmation, oh, that makes your heart sing. And then finally, there's some of you that, that your number one love language, you need access service. And nothing does it better for you than when he just jumps in and, and, and takes care of the kids for you. Or she just does something you, you didn't even have to ask her. Or those kids just actually clean their room without you talking to them. Ten times they just do it. And that act of service, that is a powerful way for people to show love to you. You know God created us that way, right? Not that we probably all love in all those ways at some level, but, but God created us to love and receive love differently. And understanding that and knowing that is huge. But here's the amazing part. God understands this. So you know what he did? He loved you in all of those ways. Not just a few, not just one. He loved you in all those ways, and he did it perfectly. Listen to what John says here. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you see it here? God loved us in all of those ways. First off, he gave us a gift. He didn't just stay in heaven he didn't just say, well, they'll figure it out. He didn't just say, well, they're going to get what they deserve anyway. I, I told them I love them, obey me and stuff, and they blew it out of the water. Nope. God says, I'm going to give them the greatest gift ever. I'm going to give them my son. A son who, who, who chose not to sit up on a throne with his crown on next to dad, but a son who chose to take on real flesh, real blood, so that we could touch and taste and see the goodness of our God. A Savior who took on real flesh that eventually would touch the lame, the blind, the sick, the dead, and he would revive them all as only God can. A real flesh and blood Jesus who at some point people would touch him as they bound up his hands and his feet and punched him and spit on him and, and eventually he felt the touch of cold steel pierce his skin. And he did it all to love us sacrificially, right? Works of service. Greatest act of love was Jesus' act of service for you when he gave up his life on the cross. And he did it willingly. He didn't wait till you had it figured out. He didn't wait till you got your life together because Jesus said, I know you won't, so I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to show you love that supersedes all of that and goes above and beyond all of that, and I'm going to die to pay for your sins so that you'll be forgiven and you'll be saved. 
And the words of affirmation, they're all over. Just open your Bible, right? What does God constantly say about us in the New Testament? He should call us so many bad words I'm not even going to talk about because of our rebellion against him. But you know what he calls you? He calls you beloved. He calls you child. He calls you saint. He calls you righteous. He calls you forgiven. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you chosen. He calls you as royal people. I'm just getting started. I could go all day. That's what he calls you. He gives you all the words of affirmation you possibly can need. And then time, he didn't just do this all so he could spend 30 minutes of uninterrupted time with no phones and no Facebook and no Hulu. He did it so that he could spend eternity with you forever. So if your love language is time, Jesus is going to give you all the time in the world to stand in his presence forever. That is the love of God for you through Jesus. It's love that God wants you to know. He wants you to remember. He wants you to meditate on it. He wants you to make it your first love. Not just once in a while, but but daily so that you never forget his love for you and what he did for you. A love that will never fail. And so God first loved you. He wants you to remember it. And he also wants you to share it. Listen to the next few verses. John says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I've learned this in my life, I'm sure you have too, that that if we're going to love and serve each other, you're going to actually have to spend some time with one another. Spouses, kids, parents, each other here at church, it's not just going to naturally happen or magically happen. Remember last week, we have to be intentional. And that's why living life together is so important. That's why we're talking about this, because first of all, Jesus does, but because we want to grow in our faith with Christ and grow in our relationship with others so that we can love others the way God first loved us. And last week, we got to see a great picture. Acts, I told you, we're going to talk about it probably every week because it's the, it's, the, it's the perfect section of God's word for all of this, but we saw how the early Christian church got together. They sacrificed for one another. They loved each other by first gathering with each other and getting together in the love of God found in his word so that then they could give it to somebody else. And they didn't just talk about it for an hour during a worship service. They didn't just give it lip service and say, yeah, that's what God says, that's what we should do. They actually lived it. And we heard last week how that changed the world and how many more people were brought to faith in Jesus because they saw God's love in action. That's why we, as a church here, we want to get serious about first loving God, but then loving each other. And not because we must, right? When we talk about life groups at some point, when we get into those, we're not saying, well, you absolutely better come to one or you're not going to go to heaven. That's ridiculous. 
But we do know, because God tells us, you're going to miss out on all kinds of blessings that God wants to give you. And so as your pastor, we as a church, we want you to enjoy those blessings. And we're going to do it also because we understand how God created us. To live together, to not do life alone, and if we're going to actually do that and know each other's hurts and wants and joys and struggles and triumphs and everything in between, we're going to have to actually talk to one another and hang out and spend time. Because it won't happen otherwise. And so that's why at some point when we wrap up this series, we're, we're going to have life groups and we're going to ask you to sign up. And I encourage everyone to do it so that you can have the blessings God wants to give you. But know this, we're doing it because we want to grow in our love for God and, and grow in our love for each other. And let me give you a couple of whys. Reading your Bible on your own, fantastic. I will always encourage you, open up your Bible daily. That's a good thing. But there's just some things that, that don't and probably even cannot happen when you're just doing it alone. Right? I know what happens to me. I'm reading something, and, and I come across some difficult parts. And, and if I'm by myself, there's nobody there to ask questions, to bounce ideas off of, for somebody to say, hey, God talks about this in this book, and that will help us understand here. When you do it by yourself, that's, that doesn't happen. When you do it by yourself, another thing doesn't happen. When, when you hit those parts of God's word that cut you like a knife, and they will, and we realize and confess like we did this morning, I am miserable, a sinner, deserve nothing from God. It's really cool that when you're reading it with somebody else, you can talk about it, and they can say, God loves you, and God forgives you. And have that confidence. And so as we live life together, one of the biggest components will be to get into God's word together so we can help each other as we grow in our faith. Another reason is when it comes to church. Sunday morning, 9 a.m., that's what most of us think of when we think of church, or, or maybe if you come from a different church or you're watching online and your church is a different time, but that's often what we think of when someone says church. We think of the Sunday morning worship experience. Nothing wrong with it. It's good. God calls us to do it. But it does have some drawbacks. Like right now, nobody's saying, well, wait, 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 Pastor. They're not, nobody's raising your hand. Oh, can you stop? Can we go back? Can we talk about that a little bit more? Or, or I have a question on, on what you said here and what, what that pastor just saying. That doesn't happen on Sunday mornings in a sermon. And another reason? It's really, really hard to get deep on Sunday morning. You want to know why? Because I'm not counting. I don't know the official count here, but there's dozens and dozens of people here on any given Sunday and you, you know what you can't do? You can't have deep, meaningful relationships with that many people. It's impossible. In fact, I don't know about you, but, but I know that many of you, I don't even get to see you half the time on Sunday, and it bothers me because I want to, but there's only one of me, and there's many of you. It's impossible to get to all of you every Sunday, and even if I could, it'd be like a quick high five, move on, who's next, the next high five. That's not a deep relationship. And the same is true for you. You can't be BFFs with everybody in here. It's impossible. In fact, God wired you in a way that you can't do it. 
don't know if you recall, maybe about a year or two ago, um, our mission counselor was here, Pastor Burkles, and we had this discussion, and he talked about not letting one specific person or one specific group everything do everything because they can't, right? I don't know if you remember that. But his point was this. Some of the experts say five to seven. Five to seven people, maybe eight to ten. We can, we can bump the numbers a little bit, but it's not much more than that. That's the number of deep relationships the average person can handle. I mean, you might know 800 people on your Facebook feed or, or have 1,000 followers on Instagram, but you don't know them. You don't have any meaningful relationship with most of them because you can't. Relationships are hard work and it's impossible. There's not enough time in the day and you're just not wired to. And so that's why one of the things in the life group is we're not setting up life groups for 25, 30 people to get together. We want two or three families, 10 to 12, so that you can go deep with those people and do life together following Jesus. Because 30 people can't do it. I've often said that. I said that last week in the Bible class, which last week's Bible class was phenomenal. One of the best I've ever had at this church, probably in my ministry, because we did have some people get real and open up and, and others say, yeah, me too, and Jesus loves you and forgives you. That's what we're talking about. That's really hard, though, when there's 30 people in a Bible class because we're often afraid. And so hopefully my prayer is another thing this life group will do is that you can get together with a group of people who you can get real with. Not superficial, not how you doing, I'm fine, I'm fine, moving on, and then you go your separate ways, because we all know we're not fine every day. This life is tough. A group of people who you can open up with, and they're not going to look down on you. In fact, what you're going to probably find is they're going to be like, yeah, me too, I struggle with that too. Maybe you'll have that person in your life group who, who's got a little age and wisdom like John and says, hey, I'll help you through it. Or maybe it's a rookie just like you and you don't know how to do it, they don't know how to do it, but they're committed to going to Jesus together to do it together with him. So many blessings. So many blessings that God wants to give to us as he calls us to do life together, as we gather around his word, as we love one another, as he has first loved us. Friends, this morning I want to leave you with what I think is going to be one of the biggest wins in our life group, and I think it's one of the biggest comforting things here in this section of God's Word. Listen to what John, how he kind of wraps it up. He says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like Jesus. And there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. God is love in every way imaginable. We see it through Christ. We see it through the cross. That's the love of your God for you. And he wants you to know it. He wants you to remember it. He wants you to meditate on it. He wants you to share it with others and not keep it to yourself. And you know what I think is one of the biggest comforting things here and one of the biggest wins in our life group? When we are sitting and marinating in the love of God with each other, we can have confidence. 
We can have certainty. We can have hope. We can have joy. And we don't need to be afraid of anything. There's probably a lot in our world going on recently that maybe causes fear in our hearts, whether it's in our nation or whether it's in our own homes. But God says when you're connected to my love, there is no fear. None whatsoever. Nothing for you to be afraid of. That's the love that is yours through Jesus Christ. And that's the love that Kay had. Kay had it, she knew it, and she shared it. Kay was one of my members that I got to serve at my first church in Utah. And I still remember the day that we were sitting there, her husband and I, next to her, maybe all 85 pounds of this frail old woman who was days away from heaven. And we were talking, and we, we, we read passages like this, and we read passages like, like God loves you, he saved you, he forgave you, and, and very soon, Kay, Jesus is coming, he's going to take you home. And I'll never forget what she said to me that day. She looked me square in the eye, smile from ear to ear. Now, mind you, a day earlier, she wasn't lucid, she was out of it, and they thought she was going to die then, but she... God gave her that strength one more time to hear his love. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, after I told her the gospel of Jesus, she says, that's the truth, and I am not afraid. Friends, soon we're, we're going to do these life groups, and I want you to seriously think about it. I really do. I want you to think about your spiritual well-being and future. I want you to think about your children's and your grandchildren's and the children that, that come to church with you that might not be related to you, but they're connected to you as family through Christ. And I want you to think about their spiritual future and the legacy we're giving them. Because it's great if we give them a good education. It's all great and fine if we, we make sure they grow up healthy and happy and well-adjusted and they got their careers and all that stuff. But all of that will pass away, but the love of God remains forever. So I want you to think about those things. And then I want you to think of Kay. The 85-year-old woman who went through, through 85 years of ups and downs and sin and baggage and heartache and misery and trials and good days and struggles and everything in between, just like you and I, but she still, on her deathbed, as she stared death in the face, could still say, that's the truth, and I'm not afraid. Because I don't want you to wait until you're older and you have more time. I don't, I don't want you to wait until my life is less busy because that will never happen. And I don't want you to wait until you're on your deathbed. I want you to have joy and confidence right now. A joy and confidence that removes all your fears so that you and I can join with Kay. I'm not afraid. I want you to know that when the credits of your life story roll across the screen and it's over that it's not over, <laughs> that Jesus loves you, he forgives you, and when the credits roll on your life, you will have a happily ever after because of God's love for you through Jesus Christ who died and rose for you. I want that to be yours. Amen.